Oh, it's great to see you guys. Jesus is here. It's, it's awesome to be in his presence, and he is up to good stuff in our lives. I, I'm excited. I've got more that I want to say than I probably have time, so I should just get to it. So that's what we're going to do. We've been, we've been in the middle of this series called Things Are Getting Better because we believe that Jesus actually did something at the cross. How many of you know the cross made a difference? Like what we're getting ready to celebrate here in April, the, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus changed eternity forever. There, there was something that was one way, the cross happened, and then it was completely different afterwards. Jesus made a difference. And that's why things are getting better. And if you know somebody that needs a dose of good news. How many of you know people that are just pessimistic all the time? They, they need to hear a message of hope and a future and know that there's good news in the world. Those are the people we're after. That, that should be who you're talking to when we're talking about, hey, let's get people connected. Let's invite people. Look for those people that you're like, man, they are so sad. They are, they are just dejected all the time. They got no hope. That's the one you want. Okay? Look at your neighbor say, I got friends like that. Man, look at your other neighbor and say it like you mean it this time. I, I have friends like that. I have friends that need to know there is hope for a future. There is a reason to be optimistic. So as we are doing that, what's happening is people come and through new life and what we're doing in the church of Jesus all around, they are encountering Jesus because that's part of why we exist. We are a diverse supernatural community helping people encounter Jesus. When, when they meet us, there should be somebody besides just Chris that they are having an encounter with, okay? That when, when they come to new life, they're encountering Jesus through His Spirit when we worship together. When we preach the Word, they're encountering Jesus. They're hearing His voice and experiencing Him. And when they connect to the body, how many of you know His body is still active in the earth today? Man, when, when some of us, it's guaranteed to each one of us, when, when we pass off this plane... Our body is going to be somewhere else. It's going to be in the ground or get cremated or something. Jesus is the only one supernatural, amazing miracle that his body is still here in the earth today. He, he ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father. But the stuff he did is still happening in the earth today because his body is doing it. So that's part of why we're here, why we exist. Uh, I really do. I need to get to my notes now. So what we've been talking about the, the last few weeks during this whole month, uh, we've been saying that things are getting better because Jesus did something. We, we coined the phrase kingdom optimism. It's not just hope for the sake of hope, but it is because Jesus is involved. That's why we can have hope. We are kingdom optimists in what's going on. We, we made a biblical case that things are getting better. It is what Jesus promised, that his kingdom makes a difference. It's expanding and growing in the earth and our outlook matters because we're the ones who have authority and we can influence what's going on around us in the hearts and minds of people. What we think about the future makes a difference. So last week we said we're not alone. We, we made a case that Christianity is expanding at, at record paces around the globe. Jesus is still in the business. 2,000 years after he went to the cross, he's still in the business of radically transforming people's lives. And it's happening. We, we don't have to be like the prophet Elijah moaning and groaning to the Lord. I'm the only one. How many of you have ever felt like that? Like we want to be having that conversation with Jesus. I'm the only one here. And he said to Elijah, you're not. I've got a whole company of people. And he's saying that to us today. We are not the only ones. He's surrounded us with people that are on the same team as us that are advancing the kingdom of God. Uh, if you haven't ever followed us on social media, please do. Go to the next slide. We, there are some things that you could share. 
you could actually, how many of you know, it? sometimes we get intimidated by, hey, I'm going to go flesh and blood, talk to somebody, like poke them on the shoulder and say, can I share something with you about Jesus or things are getting better or a Bible verse? People get really bold when they're behind a computer screen with just clicking the mouse like, hey, I can let everybody know about Jesus now. So if you don't follow us on social media, you should, because there's things that you can share to start getting the word out. And if somebody this this is what we're after, I would love for one story, just even a story where somebody said, hey, you know what? Tell me more about that church you're involved with. Like I saw you sharing good news and saying that there's stuff happening. That would be worth it. That, that would be worth every time, every amount of whatever we spend making social media happen to have people come and start interacting and say, tell me more. That's that's what we should be doing. Uh, so as we've been going through this series uh, today, I wanted to talk about the victory that Jesus won and that we are seeing it enforced in the world. And the key verse we've been using for this series is Isaiah chapter nine and verse seven. And what I would like us to do, we read this verse together last week. How many of you were here? And, and how many of you remember reading this verse together and how good it felt? We're going to do that again today, but we're going to take it another step. Let's go ahead and stand, and we're going to read this verse together. So you, this will be your last stretch before I, I preach a little more. But let's read Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7 together. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Give your neighbor a high five about that before you sit back down. That's good news right there. So you can be seated. And and what I wanted to do with that this morning, how many of you know that that was a mini picture of what Christianity is like? There, there are times that, that we hear the good news. We, we, we're sitting somewhere. Maybe like two weeks ago, we're sitting in the service and I read that verse to you. Okay? That's kind of what happens in Christianity. It starts out with, I start hearing things. I'm listening. I'm, I'm maybe not active or involved yet, but I'm hearing the message. Then last week, we read it together. Maybe, you know, that's like Christianity says, okay, I'm going to put my foot in the water. I'm going to dip my toe in and see about getting involved and see how it feels and how it sounds. But how many of you know there's always more? There's another step. And that was the picture we did this morning. Hey, we're starting to say it together. We're believing it. But now I'm all in. I'm going to stand up out of my comfort zone, you know, where I've been sitting comfortable in the chair. And I'm actually going to do something to get involved with it. That's the picture of what Jesus is expecting in Christianity. First we hear it. Then we start to rehearse it like, oh, okay, I agree with that. I believe it. And then we're all in. You have to do something with what we've heard. The book of James talks about not just being hearers, but being doers with what we've heard and, and realized is the truth. So thank you, Jesus, that you are establishing your government, your kingdom in the earth. The, the increase of your government and peace is unending. And I know when we read that verse, I know that God wasn't lying and I know he's powerful enough to do it. So things are getting better because he can be trusted. And when his kingdom increases, life happens, family improves, peace comes on the scene, righteousness and joy. All these things prosper when his kingdom begins to expand. And I believe that his government and peace can increase in the world because of what Jesus did in the cross and his resurrection. Because he is the winner. Come on, look at your neighbor say, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Come on. Say it like you mean it. 
He won every victory that could ever be won. That's why we could even be standing here and saying that Jesus made a difference and the world is getting better because of what he accomplished through the cross. He is the winner for all time. He defeated every foe that could ever rise up against him. There, there have been some great sports teams throughout history, but there aren't any that could really say, you know, we won every single game, every time, every season for all of eternity. Jesus did that on the cross. He is the winner of all time. This is one of my favorite verses. You've probably heard me read it before, but in Colossians chapter 2, talking about Jesus, it says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Come on. He did it. He is the winner. He disarmed them. What's that mean? They don't have anything to fight with anymore. The powers and the principalities arrayed against us, it's all huff and puff and show. It's, it's like the Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. You know, I'm, I'm the great and powerful Oz. I've got all this power. And really, it's just some guy. That's what the enemy is like. And it says he made a public spectacle of them. What's that mean? It, it, if you study the, the connotation of that verse, he stood them up on a platform for everyone to see and expose their nakedness. They don't have any power. It's just a bunch of show. And we need to realize he did that. He won the victory forever. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the victor of all time. He is, First uh, Peter talks about angels and authorities and powers being submitted to him. He is the name above every other name. Everything has to submit to him. Every knee has to bow and every tongue confess because Jesus is Lord. He is the winner. Look at, look at somebody and say, he's the winner. And, and I'm on his team. <laughs> Come on. He is the winner and he lives in me. So every situation you go into, it doesn't matter how dark it looks, who's arrayed against you, what's happening, the circumstances, the winner of all time for eternity walks into the room with you. Come on, you get, you got a shot if the winner of all eternity is on your side and walks in the room with you. And the question that keeps coming up though is, well, if Jesus was the winner for all time, he defeated every foe that could rise up against him, why do we still see evil in the world? Why, why do bad things still happen? Why do we see things that oppose the kingdom of God still seeming to prosper in the world? I have part of an answer for you this morning on that because he gave us work to do. He, I don't know why, in his wisdom, almighty God, in all of eternity, he said, you know, I won the victory for all time, but I'm going to let my people participate in it. They are going to enforce my victory. What I won at the cross, my people are going to see it come to pass in the earth. And I think that's why the more we go out and the more we see our light shine, the more we do these things, the more we see the victory that Jesus won on the cross come into the earth. Our job is to enforce what he's already done. Or is the, we're going to read this verse in Hebrews. Here's how the writer of Hebrews put it in chapter 10, verse 12. It says, when this priest, talking about Jesus being our great high priest, it says, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. It's, it's kind of old-fashioned language to say it, maybe, but that's what enforcing the victory is. That's how the writer of Hebrews expressed it. Make them my footstool. Take the people that I have, the, the principalities, the powers, all the foes against me, and put them in my footstool. Get them to submit and bow before my name. And that's the job of the church. It says Jesus is sitting and waiting for that to happen. He doesn't have to get up because his body is here doing that. We are the ones that are enforcing the victory that Jesus gave. He's not, come on, 
He's not sitting and waiting for things to go downhill so bad that he has to come rescue you. He's, he's not saying, okay, uh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket and I'll, I'll get up and come rescue my people. It says he's sitting and waiting for the victory that he won to be realized in the earth. Since that time, that's what he's... Come on, people all over, they're like, well, why is Jesus waiting? Can't he just come back? He's waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. That's what's driving the return of Jesus is he's waiting to see his victory enforced in the earth. And he's called us to be the ones to do it. I, come on, I don't know about you, but I would love to do something to make Jesus get up. Come on. Jesus, I know you've been sitting for a long time. Your, your rear end must be really tired. Like, I'd love to be the one that gets you up off of that throne because you've seen every enemy be made your footstool. That is something to get up for in the morning. That's what we're doing as the church of Jesus Christ. I love this quote from David Chilton. He said that Christ has already won overwhelmingly on every front. Ever since Christ's ascension, world history has been a mopping up operation. The church militant, as long as she is the church obedient, will be the church triumphant as well. The church really is an army. There, you know, we it may not be politically correct in all circles to talk about the militant side of the church, but God has called us an army. He, he gave his followers, he said, occupy until I return. That was a military term. Take over where you are. Influence the culture around you. The church is an army, and the secret to us seeing the victory be enforced is obedience. It says as long as the church militant is the church obedient, she will be the church triumphant. That's what we're a part of. And mopping up is what happens after the war has already been won. Jesus defeated every foe. He won the war at the cross. And the mopping up operation is what the church is involved in. Now, what's interesting is the war being won doesn't necessarily mean that every enemy gives up. Come on, have you ever experienced that in your life? How many of you know there's still real opposition happening to us in the world? And this this picture up there, go to the next slide. Does anybody know who this guy is? And if you were in first service in Bridgeville, you're disqualified from answering. This, this is a Japanese soldier, and his name was Hiro Onoda. That's, I'm not going to make you turn to your neighbor and say that. His name was Hiro Onoda. And even after Japan had surrendered, how many of you remember? Well, maybe you weren't old enough to actually see it on the news, but maybe you've seen it in history books. There's the Japanese emperor and General MacArthur, and he's signing the paper saying, we surrender. You won the war. We're done. You are the victor. We surrender. How many of you know not all the Japanese troops got the message? Not all of them surrendered. And this was the most famous one, Hiro Onoda, for 30 years. So 1974 is when this guy finally surrendered. He ran into the mountains in the jungles of the Philippines and he was staging guerrilla attacks. And, and they would go and they would fly planes over and they would drop leaflets into the forest that said, hey, the emperor surrendered. You need to come out and give up. And they looked at these leaflets and they said, they're trying to trick us. We don't think that's true. And they would keep fighting for 30 years. After the war had been won, there were still enemies trying to fight. And that maybe know the devil is a lot more persistent than Hiro Onoda. Okay? He, he, he knows. what. That's the crazy part is the devil knows he's been defeated. He knows the war has won, but he's trying to posture and fluff and huff and puff and blow your house down. But the truth is he's been defeated and the church needs to enforce the victory. That's how the message gets out. Just because the war has been won 
doesn't mean there aren't enemies to still defeat and to put in the footstool. So who are the enemies that we are fighting? Is it your spouse? Is it, is it the boss at work that was so mean to you last week? Like, he's got to be the enemy. Like, that stuff he said was just uncalled for. Come on. Who? Ephesians chapter 6 says the enemies that we fight are not flesh and blood. They're, they're powers and principalities and authorities, evil forces in the heavenly realms. Touch your neighbor on the shoulder just to check to make sure they got flesh and blood. Every, everybody in the room got flesh and blood. If they have flesh and blood, they're not the enemy. Okay? Sometimes we forget and we act like they're the enemy. We, we get in a, in a posture of opposing people and saying horrible things about them or even praying for them to get theirs. Come on, have you ever seen somebody that did that? People are not the enemy. Okay? They, they may yield their tongue to the enemy to, to say terrible things or to do evil actions, but they are not the enemy. The real enemy is the devil. Okay, and the forces that are arrayed against us in spiritual realms, but they have been defeated. They've been deprived of their power, or the verse we read earlier said they've been disarmed and made a public spectacle of them. They have no more power to harm us. And what do those enemies, the names they go by, it's, it's everything that opposes the kingdom. Okay, greed and poverty and famine. Well, you know, those are real enemies that are still out there today. Hatred and war and strife. Those are the names of real enemies that were defeated by Jesus at the cross, but we are still trying to enforce the victory. Sickness and disease, oppression, depression, possession, whatever you want to say about the work of the enemy, those are real enemies that we are saying Jesus won and you need to submit and bow to him. Sin and death and death, the last enemy to be put in the footstool is going to be death. And I think there were many times in church where We've read some quotes over the last couple of weeks from church fathers that they knew what Jesus had done and they knew what the role of the church was and they weren't confused about it. I want to read a couple today. Adam Clark lived in 1760, late 1700s, early 1800s. Uh, he wrote a famous commentary about scripture. This is what he said. He said, yet there is no doubt that the earth is in a state of progressive moral improvement and that the light of true religion is shining more copiously everywhere and will shine more and more until the perfect day. He knew the power that Jesus had released into the earth, that it was able to change and transform the lives of people, that it was able to make a difference. And all he's doing, what is he saying in that verse, or in that quote? He's, he is echoing a verse in Proverbs. In, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18, it says, The path of the righteous. Come on, any righteous people in the room? Come on, if you, didn't, if you didn't raise your hand, you need to go back and refresh yourself what Jesus did for you. Okay, you weren't righteous in your own effort, but he gave you his righteousness. So when you show up in the scene, righteous people show up because Jesus is there with you and he has given you something that you couldn't produce in yourself. You couldn't make it happen. All your effort, all your striving. I'm not good enough to do this. But as soon as I'm in Christ, I'm in that verse. When it says righteous people show up, I'm included in that number. And it says the righteous, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn shining ever brighter until the full light of day. When righteous people come on the scene, it gets brighter. The full light of day is coming. It's beginning to dawn. And Jesus gave us His righteousness through the cross. He, he called Himself the light of the world, but then what did He turn around and say to His disciples in the next paragraph? He turned around and says, I'm the light of the world. And then He looked at His disciples He said, You 
are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. You can't be hidden. You're going and doing what I did when I was here. The light that people were seeing. That's you now. You get to go shine and let your light be seen by all men so that they can glorify the Father. What happens when the light shines? Thank you. Thank you. Somebody has read the Bible in this place. When the light shines, the darkness flees. It leaves altogether. Have you ever heard somebody say the quote of, well, as the light gets brighter, the dark's going to get darker? Has anybody ever heard that? Or maybe you said, that's not true. When the light shines, the darkness disappears. It doesn't get darker. Oh, we're going to redouble our efforts and be darker because the light's shine. The darkness has to go. When the light shines, it leaves. Come on. Sometimes we say things that we don't think about the repercussions of what it means. The dark doesn't get darker. It flees because that's what Jesus does. And every time, here, let's make it practical. Every time you're a person of integrity at work, the light shines. The kingdom expands a little more. The darkness has to flee. Every time you pray for a sick person, come on. And I don't, I don't care if they get healed right on the spot miraculously. Every time you take that step of faith and you pray for a sick person, the darkness flees and the light shines. Come on, every, every time you're faithful to your spouse and, and show somebody how much you love them, the light is shining. How many of you know that light needs to shine pretty bright in our society? We need to be ones that are showing the way to the next generation. This is how you're married. This is how you love your spouse. This is what it means to be a part of a family. When we do those things in a godly way, the kingdom comes. It expands and the light shines. And the darkness has to flee. Every time you're a person of generosity, come on, Poverty and the curse of that, the curse of lack. Come on, I, poverty is part of the curse. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. I will not lack. Every time we are generous, the light shines and the darkness of poverty and lack disappears a little more. That's, I'm trying to make it practical for us this morning. Every time we're thankful instead of complaining. The light shines just a little bit brighter. And it is so countercultural. How many of you have, have been in a place where you would think it's just normal to complain about everything? Come on, we see it in society, we see it in our workplaces, and in the middle of that darkness, some light needs to stand up and shine and say, you know what, you can complain about that if you want, but let me tell you why I'm thankful. Let me tell you what's going on in my life. Let me tell you why there's hope for a future. When you do that and take a stand, the light begins to shine and the darkness is pushed back in that moment. Sometimes I think we talk about the kingdom expanding and we just we spiritualize it and we just think, oh, well, that means, you know, Jesus's influence is somewhere or like there really are practical things that we do that happen and the kingdom expands and darkness is pushed back. And the war, the victory that Jesus won is enforced more and more when we do that and let our light shine. Here's here's another one. Jonathan Edwards in the early 1700s said this. The visible kingdom of Satan shall be overthrown and the kingdom of Christ set up on the ruins of it everywhere throughout the whole habitable globe. He knew our job is to be mopping up the victory that Jesus won. We are enforcing it. And, and the kingdom of Satan, what what he is building, how many of you remember the parable that Jesus taught about the house that was built on the sand and the house on the rock? You're all gnawing at me. You went to Sunday school when you were little or something. The house that was on the rock stood. The waves came and, and knocked against it. And it had a foundation and it stood and it was strong. What happened to the house on the sand? It collapsed. Nothing in the ground. No foundation. They just built it right on top of the, the sand and it collapsed. What the devil has built, 
Okay, because he, he sees there's a lot of imposing, intimidating structures that look so evil and what the devil has built. It's like the house on the sand. And what Jesus did through the work of the cross is he completely undercut every bit of foundation, every authority that that building, that that, what, G, what, what Satan had built, he undercut every bit of authority that it had to stand. And what Jesus is waiting for now is he's waiting for a company of people that would be bold enough to not be intimidated by, oh, look how scary and terrible that looks, that they would go up and give it a push and say, hey, yeah, let me, let me show everybody around us. You've been afraid of this. And, and give it a push and the whole thing collapses because the Jesus won the victory and we're there to enforce it. We gotta, we gotta stop. It's, it's just a bunch of posturing and look at me and be afraid of me and, and there's no foundation to it. There's no substance. There's no authority to it. And when the people of God rise up and just go out and start shining the light and start saying this is what Jesus did, it collapses and people see it. This is, this is how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 16. He was having this conversation with Peter. He just asked Peter, who do you say I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus got excited. I think he did a little happy dance or something. It says he was, he said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you. My father, you're getting something supernatural from my father. He told you who I am. And this is what he says based on that confession, based on you knowing who I am, that I'm the chief cornerstone. I'm the son of God. This is what Jesus says to Peter. You are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Peter's confession of faith literally changed his identity as, as it still does for us today. He says, man, you said that. That's something I can work with now. I'm, I'm going to slap you in the wall. You're going to be part of what I'm building in the earth today. And Jesus said, I am building my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Have you ever met somebody that read that verse and they have this silly picture of like the church running down the road and these gates chasing after it? Like, hey, we're going to the gates are going to come. Get, do gates move? Come on. They, they don't move. You've, you've got a gate in the fence around your yard. Is it in the same place every time? Like it hasn't ripped its posts up out and started chasing you down. Gates don't move. That means the church is the one on the move. The, the gates of hell not overcoming the church mean that when the church goes out and tries to enforce the victory that Jesus has already won, the devil doesn't stand a chance. What, what do gates represent? If you read through the Old Testament, what happened at the gates of the city? That, that represented authority and government. And that it says the elders of the city sat at the gates. And what they did is they declared and, and they were the ones that said, this is what the atmosphere in the city is going to be like. We're the ones setting the pace here. And the elders did that at the gates. And when Jesus makes that statement to Peter, he's saying there's a new sheriff in town. They no longer, the devil no longer has the authority to declare what the atmosphere is going to be. What happens in the gates of hell doesn't stand a chance when the true people with the authority of Jesus Christ show up on the scene and begin to declare what he wants to do in the situation. The gates of hell have to run. And it doesn't happen by us just sitting here. We're not sitting here saying, oh, we're afraid of the gates of hell. We're going out. And we're knocking them down. Darkness and the devil doesn't have the last word anymore. What they've declared at the gates isn't the last word in your life. So if that's what Jesus released and the church has been enforcing that victory, we ought to see some evidence, some progress, right? We ought to be able to show something. And, and because I am 
a little bit nerdy. I'm going to show you three pictures on the screen, okay? Everybody say, I can do three pictures. I, I, you might have hated math, but you can still do three graphs with me. I'll, I'll give you one that, how about, I'll give you one that's not on the screen first. Has anybody in the room, do you know somebody that died from polio? How about, okay, one hand, you remember that as a child probably. Anybody personally experienced somebody that has polio right now? Why not? Because it's been eradicated. How did that happen? And all, all the Pittsburghers are quickly thinking, well, Jonas Salk, vaccine, University of Pittsburgh. Where did that come from? I, I believe the reason that Jonas Salk even had the ability to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to develop a vaccine to cure and eradicate polio is because Jesus undercut the foundation and the authority of sickness and disease at the cross. And I don't care if Jonas Salk ever got down on his knees and said, thank you, Jesus, for the cure to polio. I know where it came from. It came from the throne. It came in a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge that was released into the earth and the kingdom expanded the moment polio was eradicated. Because sickness and disease opposes the kingdom. And any time the kingdom expands, life happens. And I think there's a place for the church. We talk about praying for sick people. Okay, like, Joe, you're not feeling well. you got something wrong. I'm going to pray for you. Please do that. We should be doing that. The, the, The believers will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. But I believe there's another place of praying for the sick that we've not tapped into. Lord, would you please release the cure for cancer into the earth today? Come on, how about we start praying for the sick on a global level more than we've thought or imagined. Like, we're one at a time in it. You know, hey, I'm praying for sick people, which is awesome. I want you to do that. Please don't stop doing it. But we're one at a time in it. How about we start praying, praying, Lord Jesus, enforce the victory that you want at the cross. God, we are asking you to release the cure for cancer. We're asking you for, to release the cure for autism. And all these things that, that we see plaguing the world today, how about the church start praying for the victory of Jesus? to be enforced in the earth and to see the kingdom come. And at some point, we got to start telling people this is why it's happening because Jesus is Lord and He won the victory forever. He is the winner for all time. Every good gift comes from the Father. If it's good, I don't care if they thanked Him for it or acknowledged Him or not. It came from Him. Amen. And we're Because the path of the righteous shines like the first gleam of dawn and it gets brighter and brighter until the full light of day. What's the full light of day mean in Proverbs there? I think that means there's no more darkness left. The the path of the righteous is going to get brighter and brighter until there's no more darkness. Let's go through these slides real quick. Uh, First one here. Here is the number of people living in extreme poverty, which the UN defines as you're living on less than $1.25 or the equivalent per day. Just since 1990, you know, we could take that graph back a little further, but just since 1990, it has been cut in half. The number of people around the world, poverty opposes the kingdom. It's an enemy that we are enforcing the victory on. And, and I see what that picture says to me. Awesome. Kingdom of God has been expanding, lifting people out of poverty, but there's still a lot of work to do. There is still more victory to be enforced. Well, how do you do that practically? You give. You, you love the poor. You take care of them. You help. When, when we do that, it lifts people up and it expands the kingdom. So it's gone from, if you can't see the numbers on the screen, almost 2 billion people living in poverty in 1990. And today it's only 836 million. The kingdom of God is expanding. His government and peace are continuing to increase. Go to the next slide. Uh, this is 
the trend of people being murdered just in America since the 1700s, so North America. So you're looking at that. If you've only been alive since 1950, see the very end of that graph there? If you've only been alive since 1950, you might be looking at the world around you thinking, man, it's, it's getting worse. They're killing people. It's so violent. But if you take a longer view of it and you realize, because we said that, that things are getting better is not always a purely straight line, right? Sometimes there's ups and downs, but the, the arrow is pointing up. If you've only been alive since 1950, you might think it's getting worse. People are killing. But when you look at the long view, man, murder opposes the kingdom. Taking life opposes what Jesus wants to do. And he has been expanding his government and peace because people aren't killing each other as much anymore. That's that's the numbers per capita. So what that means is uh, right around when when people were first in the nation here, uh, probably about 35 people for every thousand were being murdered by other people. And today the number is less than 10. We, we can't get so caught up in our immediate surroundings or just our limited experience of life that we think, oh, things are horrible, they're getting worse, because Jesus is still on the throne and his government and peace is expanding. Here's the last slide I'll show you this morning. Uh, this is worldwide childhood deaths. So anybody under 18 around the world that passed away before they got to their 18th birthday, uh, this is what the number's been doing since 1990. Around the globe, it was almost 12 million children died every year from, from whatever, sickness, disease, think a lot of times, honestly, things that could be cured and taken care of. Just give them sanitary water, give them a, give them a vaccine, you know, help them with a the mosquito net so they don't get malaria all the time. And what's been happening is because of some of those advances, just taking care of babies in the better and knowing how to do it, that number has almost dropped in half as well, from 12 million down to 6.9 million. How many of you know that's awesome progress? But 6.9 million is still 6.9 million too many. Come on, kids that, that don't have a chance to make it to 18, there's still work to be done. That's why he has called us as the church to continue to enforce that victory. Yes, we need to encourage ourselves. We're seeing progress. We're seeing things happen. The kingdom really is expanding. There's good news to be shared, but there is still work to be done. We can't just sit on our rear end and think somebody else is going to do it because we are the body of Christ. So some, some, come on. I could show you graph after graph, but because I love you, I'm not going to do that, okay? I, I, know, I know where to draw the line. I think three was a good line this morning, but I could show you a whole bunch of stuff that show the progress of life and righteousness expanding in the globe today. And it's happening because Jesus is the winner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, just like we said. He is the victor of all time, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and His will is being done in the earth more and more every day. It is progressively happening, and we need to feed ourselves on good news. We need, that's why I've said the last few weeks, we need to be looking for, Jesus, where are you on the move? I'm tired of listening to the bad news. We need to be carriers of good news because people in the world are being told all the time they're losing. They need someone to tell them they're winning. There is an opportunity for you to be on the winning side. We are the ones that have the good news. And that's why we need to be feeding ourselves on good news. And looking for Jesus, what are you doing in the earth today? Where can I come into agreement? Where can I begin to pray? Where can I give? Where can I see uh, myself putting hands and feet to what you're doing in the earth today to let this continue to expand? Keep sharing the good news. Tell people they're winning. You can, you can tell people, you know what? You can have the winner permanently live with you everywhere you go. You, you've been a, don't call anybody a loser, but tell, tell them you felt like a loser for too long. You need to know that the winner can go with you into every circumstance. The, Jesus said, the Father and I will come make our home with you. 
man, it doesn't get much closer than he's come and made his home with you. And you carry the winner into every situation. Keep looking for those good reports that show God's kingdom expanding. Last, last week, I'm, I'm going to keep harping on this one a little bit because we're leading up to Easter. We said if there's two billion Christians in the world, that means there's only two unsaved people for every one saved person. What two people do you know that you could get them here by Easter? Say, hey, man, you need to come meet somebody that's changed my life. And I'm not talking about Pastor Chris or Pastor Pam or anybody else. You need to come meet Jesus and see what he can do in your life. And let's go ahead and stand for a second together. Where I want to end today is there are still things that we see in the world that we just know aren't right. How many of you know of a situation that you've either personally got going on in your life or you see it in the news and you're like, that's not right. That is injustice. That's something that needs to be changed. I know I might not be a scholar of the Bible, but I know that that is not what the kingdom of God looks like. And that's what I want to pray for this morning. Whatever situation it is in your life, I want you to think of it right now. And as we pray, I'm just, we're going to pray together. I, I might be the one saying the words, but we are going to pray together. And whatever that situation is, it, it may, you may read the news and see like, oh, child trafficking. You know, that's awful. How could they do that to those? That's an injustice that needs to end. Start praying for that. It, it may not be something global. It may be, man... I have got a fractured relationship. I haven't, I haven't talked to my son or my daughter in, in years. And it's not right. That's, that's an injustice. That's not showing the world how family should be. If, if that's it, start to... I don't care what it is. It could be big. It could be little. We sang this morning every little thing. Come on, there's... Thing, it might look like or sound like a little thing to somebody else, but to us, it's a big thing. God cares about every single one of them. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's a big thing that makes the worldwide news or if it's a little thing that only you know about. He wants to come in the middle of that situation and manifest His goodness and His kingdom and His life. Man. Just, just go ahead, lay your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you. and Just as a sign of I'm agreeing with you. I'm, I'm praying, I'm believing whatever is going wrong in your life, whatever, wherever you see injustice, I'm believing with you. And Father, we ask right now, all over the room, as we pray in agreement, as we see the injustices that are being done in the world, as, as we see the posturing of the enemy and the influence that he still has in people's lives, even though he doesn't have the authority, it grieves us, God. And we're asking, Lord, for your kingdom to come for your will to be done, for you to show up in the middle of those situations. Lord, the, the, the King of all righteousness, the judge of the earth that does what is right every single time, that you would come in the middle of those circumstances, that you would manifest your goodness, that you would capture the hearts and the minds of people. Lord God, where evil is being done, that you would cut it off at the roots. And that you would begin to manifest your goodness. That you would breathe your life into situations. Lord, where there have been broken relationships even. God, restore life to them. God, we're asking for a way to be made. God, when it seems like there could be no way, you are the one that makes a way. So we ask for you to come and open a door and make a way, Lord Jesus. God, where there are injustices on a grand scale, we ask that you would give favor to those people that are in the middle of the fight. Lord, for people battling things like child trafficking and and all these horrors that we see in the world, give your favor to the people that are involved in the middle of it. God, give them resources. Release the resources of heaven into the fight. (laughs) Thank you, God, that your army, 
Your church is more resourced than any other organization in the world because we have you. And you own it all. And God, we ask that as we see these good things that begin to happen, that you would let us be ones that are carriers of good news. That we would honor you. That we would recognize your hand at work. That we wouldn't say, oh, it's just happened by chance. Or, oh, didn't people get smart? But we would recognize the hand and the moving of God in the middle of those circumstances in the earth. And that we would give you glory for it. God, bless us indeed as we leave this place today. Let us leave knowing that we are part of your company. (laughs) That we have good news to share. That we have something that makes a difference in the lives of people. God, let your goodness and your mercy follow us everywhere that we go. Let your favor be upon everything that we do. The, The tangible presence of Jesus, let it be felt everywhere that we go. That people would know that there is something supernatural about our lives. That we carry the life of the King of Kings with us. Bless your people indeed as we go from this place, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Look at your neighbor and say amen this morning.